And welcome to the Auto Week Podcast, the, uh, still the new ones. Um, we're here with, uh, well, obviously, as you read the title, this is a the Ford v. Ferrari blowout, so we're just covering that movie and all of its facets. And we're here with someone who wasn't on that program, the first one, but uh, might know something about the more recent Ford GT program, uh, Mark Rushbrook. How, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm great. It's a great day. Love having you guys here. Mark, uh, Mike Price in here, uh, talking about the, the 66, 67, you know, that run you guys had. Uh, I mean, that you got a chance to relive that a little bit here in the last few years with the new G, Ford GT program. I mean, how cool has that been to kind of tie this whole thing together? It's been a, a dream come true for me. I, I, as a boy growing up and and knowing the history of the Ford GT40 racing program at Lamar when our company started the Skunk Works to create the new Ford GT program, and the goal was to go win at Lamar, and they asked me if I wanted to be part of it, and th- that took no time at all to make that decision. I was I was in given that opportunity. Mark, I know you said you have not seen the movie yet. We got a chance to see it last night, and I mean. It- when I watched it, I, I thought of the movie Hoosiers because I think it'd be a great training you know, movie for anybody that wants to come into the Ford Performance you know, Motorsports program because, I mean, the, the drive, the intensity, the, you, mu- you know, we must win, not just compete, but win. And that's even something we don't see every day in racing today. And I got to believe that's something that you, know, you try to instill in all your employees. Absolutely. That's a big part. That is the the mission for Ford Performance Motorsports is to go win races and championships that matter. And we do that with innovation and tech transfer and with great people and developing people. So that sense of urgency that motorsports put drives into people because that green flag is going to fly and you're going to start racing on Sunday at 12 o'clock or whenever the race starts, you have to be there with your best equipment ready to go. There's no excuses. And to have that sense of urgency and drive and put that into our people and take that back into mainstream is a big part of why we exist. Are we still fighting Ferrari? Well, yeah, we just raced against them a couple of weeks ago. So they're a fantastic, still a rival, still a rival. Fa- fantastic company and, and they, they, they have fast cars, but it's great to compete with them and even better to beat them. Uh, is the movie creating a buzz uh, amongst the Ford employees and amongst the Ford performance folks? Absolutely. The uh, the racing program is a huge point of pride for our employees. And when we won in 2016 and came back to Dearborn and, and had a celebration with our drivers with a race car, inviting all of our employees, there was such great turnout and passion um, at that event. And now as this movie is getting released, everybody's talking about it. Everybody wants to go see it. We're going to go do it as a team event together next week uh, so that we can enjoy it together and celebrate together. Like I said, I think you're going to walk out of there feeling a sense of pride. And, and, and there's going to be a few guys who want to get back into the into the shop and start working again. That's right. We're still racing in a lot of other programs, even though our most recent GT program just came to an end last month at Petit Le Mans. But we've got a lot of other racing series and a lot of passion in motorsports and a lot of great things to do on track still. It's going to be sad to, to see the Ford GT go away, the one that you've been so successful with the last few years. Um, I got to believe you got something else up your sleeve for down the road? Well, we're, we've got a lot of other programs going on with NASCAR, sure. NHRA, World Rally Championship, Australia Supercars, our Mustang GT4, our, our Cobra Jet. Um, but we're, we're working on a few things, uh, looking at different series, especially as our world is changing with hybrid and full electric. That's where a lot of the existing series are going to change to hybrid. Uh, NASCAR rally um, are two of those that are coming in 2022. So 
Well, definitely excited about that change in motorsports and, and the relevance of the cars and something full of electrics coming soon, too. Yeah, definitely a lot of changes going on. Uh, we got a chance to tour the archives today here down in Dearborn, and that's where we're coming to you from today. Um, one of the fascinating pieces I saw was the, the the little business card, you know, that said, you better win, you know, that was handed out to the engineers and the drivers, I guess, on race day back in 66. Uh, I mean, I got to believe that's something you got to be thinking about doing now for your guys. <laughs> yeah, well, it is on their objectives. The the Every year we write out objectives for our employees, and still today in motorsports, the first win. objective is to win. Not quite in those words, but that's what's important. That's what that's the report card at the end of the day. Did you win or not? There you go. Hey, uh, real quick, we could talk about uh, the NASCAR program. You, you still got a lot of excitement going on there and a chance to win a championship. Yeah, the, the new playoff system has been fantastic for uh, creating drama and a lot of excitement around the racing. And, and Kevin Harvick won last week at Texas. That locks him into the championship four at Homestead in, in two weeks or in a week and a half. And this race at Phoenix this, this weekend is going to determine who else is in that championship four. Um, hopefully we get another Ford or two in there. And then looking forward to a great race for championship weekend at Homestead in, in a week and a half. And Hopefully we can get another championship. Yeah, you can't go down to Homestead and not have a car in the field. That, that would be I a mean, bad day. <laughs> that's a bad day. Uh, not not quite a bad day in 66, though, for Ford. I mean, I kind of think that set a tone for, you know, really where you guys are at today, isn't it? Yeah, that's the standard for the company, that we want to be in motorsports because we make cars. We, we want to race cars and compete with them, but we want to be competitive, competing for wins, getting the wins, getting the championships, and learning about the technology to make our road cars better. So uh, it's an important part of who we are as a company, part of our DNA. Well, Mark Rushbrook, uh, thanks for stopping by. The movie, it's a winner. Uh, even if you're not a Ford guy, you got to go see this one. And if you are a Ford guy, you're going to love it. And like I say, you're going to want to get back into that shop the next day and start working on that next fast machine. I if can't wait to see it. Thank you. And with another special treat, diving deep into the Ford GT66 uh, heritage, the man behind the heart of the Ford GT, Mose Nolan. Most. Most. You you were the man back in 66, right? I was one of them. I was part of a team, but uh, I did get a lot of exposure because I was uh, very familiar with with the engine and was comfortable working with it. And I guess I performed all right because I kept coming back. What was your role specifically, I guess, with the 66 program? Uh, the 66 program, I was involved in the assembly of the race engines at the early part of the of the program. And uh, then I was uh, elevated in classification here at Ford to uh, take charge of the building and assembling of them uh, and making sure we had the parts supply and making sure that the build books all had uh, the latest parts in and so on. So I, w I was still around the engine six, seven, eight hours a day. In fact, close to race time, I was around the engine 16 hours a day. <laughs> what was your experience before working on the, the the Ford GT program. I mean, how did you get picked for that racing program that became, you know, the you know, well, the linchpin in, of the whole pro, in, uh, in Ford In October Sports. 1963, uh Ford had decided to go to Indianapolis and race the 500. And uh and again because of my experience and I guess my uh uh whatever you want, dependability or whatever you want to call it. Um uh, uh, our chief engineer said we're going to go racing and we'd like to have you join us on this indie program 
uh, keep in mind uh, sick time would be minimum, uh, no vacation, things like that. So I started out by assembling our first prototype uh, Indianapolis engine and then going with the engines and car to uh, test trips, uh, Kingman, Arizona, Langhorne, different racetracks and things like that. And, of course, the whole month spent at Indy, several test trips at Indianapolis, uh, even a tire trip where we had to furnish a car to test tires on. I was down there to take care of the engine and, and the, the driveline of the car. Now, fast forward to the, the 66 program. Uh, when did you come on board with that, and what was the directive? I mean, how early did you guys know this is a must-win situation for Ford? Well, while I was uh, working the Indy program, I was pretty aware of uh, the coming of the Le Mans program. And uh, at, the, at the close of our Indy, uh, Ford Motor Company and the Indy uh, program, uh, they asked me to move into uh, the GT40 Le Mans program. So uh, I, I switched. The engines were uh, a little different, but the same discipline, the same precision was required for them. And uh, then I, I started overseeing the assembly of the Le Mans engine programs and uh, taking care of dynamometers with parts and engines for testing. And... Uh you got a chance to meet uh, Henry Ford II, I, I imagine? Yes, uh, I did, and, and that was a, a, a very privileged day. It was after our victory in Le Mans in 1967. Uh, the Shell Oil Company, Petroleum Company, has a pavilion there at Le Mans, and for the winning manufacturer and team, they have this uh, very nice uh, center that they stock with uh, the finest of wines and champagne and stuff like that. And he and Christina, naturally, uh, after the, the the podium scenes and the celebration out at Trackside, uh, we migrated to this uh, facility. And uh, he was very grateful, very grateful. I mean, uh here I am covered with grease and oil and rubber dust uh, without sleep for 30 hours or so. But uh, he and his wife were just so grateful and thankful, you know, kept coming around and, and thanking, you know, the boys. Um, I failed to mention today that uh, uh, during a 24-hour race, uh, a lot of boredom sets in in the wee hours of the morning. But... Uh, uh, at Le Mans, it was it was freshened about every uh, uh, the boredom was freshened about every hour and a half, two hours, because Mister Ford and his sergeants would come through to to see how the cars were doing, you know. And of course, it's a noisy environment. I couldn't hear what was going on, but when Shelby would uh, whisper in his ear how we were doing, apparently the cars were positioned on the track. Uh, uh, pretty comfortably and you could see the grin come across Mr. Ford's face you know now, now today though at Le Mans or any long endurance race you have all the monitors and the data that's coming at you now you guys back in 66 probably didn't really know what the car was doing on the track other than the lap times right that's all we had was lap times and of course what the drivers had from us was communicated on pit boards Chalk and a, and a board. But you're getting nothing back from no, them. No radios. No, yeah. no. Uh -uh. <laughs> but we entrusted them that any change in performance, come on in and we'll take care of it or try and take care of it. 
Yeah. I mean, that had to be just an incredible challenge as, yeah. a, as an engineer. Yeah. And, and, and that's a good point because you mentioned that. Uh, I just thought of the fact that uh, I spoke of boredom at the, at the track, but uh, you were still at any minute who was going to be in demand with a crisis that you didn't know a whole lot about until that car stopped in front of you and heard his story. But yeah, because you wouldn't necessarily call for the pit. I mean, he may come in because he's feeling something or, yeah. or, or hearing something, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Wow. He would be the first to detect any uh, decline in performance, either by noise or by odor or uh, just the feel of the car not keeping up. Now we're talking with Mose Nolan, who is a uh, uh, what engine builder, engine specialist, engine specialist on the '66 uh, Ford GT uh, 40 program that uh, won Le Mans in 1966, and we're talking to him today because of the Ford v Ferrari movie that just came out. Mose, you've had a chance to see the movie. Initial yes. reaction? Yes. It, well, it's a very entertaining movie. It, uh, it's going to get grave reviews, but we have to keep in mind that. Uh, uh, it, it doesn't quite show the sincerity and the seriousness and the amount of effort that, uh, that it takes to go racing. I saw the movie as uh, uh, a, a famous race uh, car movie, mm-hmm. the 24-hour Le Mans, I think, in, in my ranking is, is the epitome. So sure. anyway, but... Uh, um, what we see in the movie, uh, you would never get to the racetrack. <laughs> but, but anyway, it is entertaining, and, and there's not too, there's very little technical stuff in the movie. There's great race scenes, great mm-hmm. race scenes, and uh, I understand that was uh, old uh, film footage that was uh, offered to them for making, but. Uh, uh, it was a, it was really a movie about Ford personalities between them and Carroll Shelby and the drivers uh, Ken Miles and so on. What's it like to be in the pits? You know, it, it, during a day that is becoming probably as the day is going on, it's getting more, more historic. I mean, do you have a sense that this is really special? Uh, yes, you do. Towards the end of twenty four hours, when you see the position of your cars. Uh, you know, this is something that uh, people are going to talk about. This is something that uh, should help our uh, showroom traffic for the dealers, you know. That <laughs> uh, was always one of my interests. I always used to, you know, think, make things right because you're supporting our showroom dealers <laughs> and so on. But uh, that was always justification for, for some of the things you had to put up with. But uh, uh, it just... I don't know. There, there's so many. There's so many feelings and moods that you go through in, in in on on the spot like that in a major race. Did it after the you know the celebration is going on? I mean, we we see uh, Ken uh, Miles portrayed in a tough light in the movie because he did. It looked like boy, he had a chance to win that thing. Should have won that thing. Uh, he's going to go down in history as not winning the race, but uh, what was that like? Uh, you know, did you remember meeting with with Ken during that time? I never met personally with him because he, uh, at that time, uh, I was within uh, <clears throat> a, a few feet of him for quite a while after the race ended. But uh, 
the man appeared to me like he really wanted to be by himself. He just couldn't believe what had happened. And, and, and um, he was handling it well. He didn't show uh, any points of anger or anything, but uh, he had to be terrifically disappointed because uh, that win would have given him a triple crown for the year mm-hmm. as far as uh, his other uh, uh, championships, you know. Because that story of Ford v. Ferrari was really told almost through his eyes. I mean, he was a very focal point of that oh, yes. movie, which yeah, I yeah. they could have picked a lot of different focal points. Yeah. I mean, it became the Carroll Shelby and the yeah. you know Ken Miles story. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was really kind of cool because a lot of casual race fans may not have remembered Ken Miles because that was it was it was a short lived career at the top like he was. Yeah. And again, he passed away shortly after that race. Yeah, he did, and uh, it was a testing of a Ford race car too. So, well, we're fifty plus years after. That's right. And you're still living this thing. Um, it's been quite a ride, hasn't it? I refer to it as a ride. It's been a wonderful <laughs> ride, and um, and yeah, there were there were some low moments when things weren't going well. But I I have to say that. It was almost not like work at all. I mean, you, you get so wrapped up in 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 what you're doing and what why you're doing it and so on that uh, you you never look at a clock. I never wore a wristwatch during there for fifty some years because I it didn't matter. Uh, it could be lunchtime and well, where did some of these people go? You know, uh, and I I'm not ready for lunch. I've got something here to take. Work care to do. Of. Work yeah. to do. Yeah. Um. So going back a little bit, you joined for the 66 program, yeah. which also meant an engine switchover, moving from the 260, 289 Little Windsor That's to the, right. the Brute, yeah. Yeah. the FE4, the 427, the 7 liter. You're an engine man. <laughs> I'm a, more specific, I'm a Ford engine man. So this, it's, it's great yeah. to talk with you as yeah. an owner of a Y block and an FE. Yeah. You're, you're a legend. What, what was that like, switching from the Little Windsor to an FE? And what problems did you run into? Well, um, <clears throat> I was just finishing up with the Indian, Indianapolis program in 65 when I was moved into the Le Mans uh, GT40 program. And uh, the decision had been made that, that something had to replace the, the small block. And, uh, and of course, they, they looked around and then we already had the NASCAR engine, which was the 427 side oiler, which was quite a brute, you know, and uh, held together nicely for 500 miles every Sunday, you know, things like that. So the the idea was between Ford engineers and Carroll Shelby was, uh, can we get that thing in your car, detune it, and trade horsepower for durability? And uh, they worked it out. They had to improve the brakes on the car because of the added weight and so on. But uh, we were, we, at the time, the NASCAR engine uh, was detuned for Le Mans. We had about 400, 415 horsepower for Sunday racing. And, and it was calculated that we could take it back to about 385 and... Uh, Geez, after that, we didn't break any parts. Uh, you were talking earlier, the a little problem you ran into with the FE was, was some oiling issues after doing some he, uh, trick head, head gasket work for reliability. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can, can you talk about the, the solution you made to keep the thing well, from oiling everywhere? Yeah. The, uh, 
it wasn't an on-the-spot solution. It was just a correction when I went to Charlotte to fix uh, that particular car. And then uh, the, the very next morning, uh, when I say morning, it was morning because it was morning, but I hadn't been to bed. <laughs> to, Again, uh, no watch. You didn't really yeah, know. <laughs> to... Uh, they put me on a plane, and I went to LAX and, and uh, corrected the, the Shelby car. Uh, the 427 uh, Le Mans engine, uh, the head marriage to the head deck was not a typical head gasket. There were uh, especially high-temperature rubber O-wings around the oil and water openings that communicated between the block and the head around the cylinders that had, that had to handle the compression uh, was a gas-filled stainless steel ring set in a groove and then the head clamped onto that. Well, when the head clamped onto that, uh, at the crop, proper sealing clamp load, those rings held the head off of the deck of the block by about 12 thousandths. Well, that whole plane of the head, except for where the O-rings went around, was open to the tappet chamber of the engine and, and the crankcake pressures and all the oil above the lifters and push rods was were fog and foaming with the oil would run down between that gap. Well, we knew that back in the in the engineering development. Uh, the trick was was to fix it and so you could depend on it. Well, we chose a Hylomar sealer, which was a World War II uh, sealant that was very popular in uh, Britain because uh, when they machined their aircraft engines, the parting surfaces were super smooth. They didn't need gaskets. They just brushed a thin, thin layer of hylomar, clamped them two together, and you had a nice sealed joint, a precision sealed joint. So we felt that that was a fine candidate to start with. Uh, then we found out that the hylomar in this thin gap, uh, in a few hours of hot operation, would uh, would lose its tension to the metal and slide, and you'd get an oil leak out to the exhaust system. So we thought of, well, we'll we'll put a piece of wire in there. Well, we never even got to putting the wire in there because you got to remember, putting the wire in there is going to interfere with the compression on those mm, yeah. cylinder rings. So then it, it turned to fabric or fiber and so on. Um, we tried a couple strings that didn't work, and probably some of the same string that, that inadvertently got in the engine anyway. But uh, one of our mechanics was talking about his trout fishing line and stuff <laughs> that floats on the... That, that it was compressible and and unrestrained that 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 line is 28 30 thousandths thick you know but you can pinch it down and so uh, we tried that and uh, one of the tests to make sure that it was the right trout line was to take a pair of micrometers and start pinching it and pulling on it to see what kind of tension you had and that's how we come up with that <laughs> The mistake that was made when I look back over the years was that we should have taken the time to pre-cut those lengths of strands, stuck them in a tube, and put a part number on them. Because when the engine is built, the mechanics are going down a checklist. And that way, uh, 
there would have been no substitutions or there would have been no personal opinions, well, this will work all right, and so on, if it had had a part number on it and it appeared in the build list. So, uh, you, you know, forget the mistake, learn the lesson. <laughs> you know, that, that was it. That's fair. So when it was reported that, that uh, Homer and Moody and Shelby had uh, cars with oil leaking out, it became apparent where the problem was. And then in conversation back with the, the mechanics that were on afternoons and midnight, well, we didn't see any of that fish line, so we used this. And it was not much more than kite string. So it was very apparent what the problem was. When I left to go to Charlotte, I did not have string, but I knew what I had to, to, to find. And of course, right down there in Charlotte, with with the backwaters and the and, and the and the fishing, I had no problem finding a tackle shop and and buying some some. Fish well, up. I hear you bought more than just one roll of that stuff too. Yes, I did because I wanted a supply of it when I got the Shelby's operation that I was going to be equipped also, and then brought it back and placed it in the cabinets for further use. But still didn't take uh, the precaution to cut them and put a part number on them, you know. I mean, it might seem silly to take two pieces of string sure. 21 inches long and put a part number on them, but it would have solved the problem. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, Mose, thank you so much for your time. And that's uh, a little deep cut. If you're restoring a GT40 and have an oil leak, uh, <laughs> you, you know how to fix it now. So Yes, we do. And, 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 and I really appreciate spending time with you fellows because I have no problem keeping the stories alive. You know, it's, it's been a passion and, and it's a big part of my life. So uh, I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy loaning stuff out that pertains to the program and so on. So... It's been great. This morning's been great, and I thank you very much for uh, including me in your interest. Oh, thank you. And we thank you. Yeah. Without you, and literally none of this would be possible. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you. And we're here with a very special segment about a very special movie with some very special people. We're here with Mark Vaughn. Who, Hi. Who flew in from California. And boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. No, it's a, it's a great joke, Mark. Start that's off a, with an apology. That's a, that's a staple on the Outwig podcast. Uh, who watched the movie that you're going to watch probably this weekend, Ford v. Ferrari. We're also here with Wes Raynal. Hello. Who uh, has not seen the movie because we are actually recording this ahead of time. That We're doing a little movie magic in honor of the, the great cinema world. Um, so, Mark, this is a movie set in the 80s, right? When Ford... <laughs> raced ferrari and the sales figures right where, for, where ferrari was such a dominant automaker that it's, ford all, was trying it's to about up. the ford taurus and okay. its handling okay. capabilities and uh the show right the ford taurus show the first the, generation well, the show was the per, yeah the performance version yeah. of it yeah and then the pinto so. is makes a cameo pinto was a very there was a class for racing pintos across america for many years really yeah yeah huh. it's like a formula ford with a Body, body around it, it. Yeah, yeah makes sense oh um, no it's actually okay the legendary story that we all know about ford trying to buy ferrari failing and then trying to beat ferrari and failing then eventually succeeding at Le Mans. yes cool 
And that about sums up the movie. <laughs> you guys okay, we can all go theaters. home. Thanks very much. No, Mark, so we all know the story, or at least most everyone listening to this knows the story, right? Ford desperately wanted to own a performance car company, so they tried to buy Ferrari, and then it fell through for one reason that is not maybe mentioned in the movie. Is it mentioned in the movie? Do they go in the backstory? Talk about the movie. Okay, the movie, any movie uh, that you make, a lot of people have been commenting that the movie, oh, well, this wasn't accurate, that wasn't accurate. Matt Damon isn't as tall as Shelby was, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that's not the point of a movie, people. You have to tell a story and you have only two hours to tell it. And this one actually went over two hours. But uh, you have to make some editorial changes. You have to take some editorial license and leave stuff out, compress other things, and almost misrepresent a lot of things in order to tell a story. They needed to have a villain, so they made Leo Beebe into a villain. I don't think I knew him. Did you know him, Wes? Did you ever meet Leo Beebe? No. Um, he, uh, he is made out to be the villain. He plays a fantastic villain. It's very understated. Um, it, it does not accurately reflect the man. And Leo Beebe obviously is a Ford insider, a Ford, a, f- a Ford executive, a Ford executive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was in charge, I think, of public relations. And he didn't want the project to go forward, or well, in the movie, he didn't want. The in the in the movie, he is presented as uh, basically, you know, sucking up to Henry Ford the second throughout the movie and uh, trying to. It's it's almost Shakespearean in that regard, in that you've got. All these courtiers, you know, trying to curry favor with Henry Ford, and everyone is afraid to tell Henry Ford anything. And Henry Ford is this this uh, oligarch who runs Ford with an iron fist. Uh, but at the same time, Henry Ford is uh, is portrayed as a character and not as the real person. It's not a documentary. So you've got this one scene that you've probably seen it in the uh, trailer for the movie where Carol Shelby takes Henry Ford out for a quick lap in the GT40. And uh, Henry Ford starts blubbering because maybe you think he's he's terrified. And so he's crying because he's afraid. And the, I cannot imagine that that ever happened because Henry yeah. Ford, I, he, he's a strong man. And he's been in fast cars and gone around corners fast. So it's that, almost like he was a head of a car company. Yeah. Who plays who? Who plays him? Well, uh, Carol Shelby is played by Matt Damon. Okay. And Ken Miles is played by Christian Bale. Those are the two really big names. Obviously, Christian Bale just got done playing Dick Cheney. And he looks a little different in this movie. Now, this, according I thought to, he was a fabulous Dick Cheney. But he was. He was. I mean, there's no such thing as a fabulous Dick Cheney, but he did well, the best right. he could. A right. He played the role well. Uh, according to Matt Damon, uh, and I was not able to verify this. I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, according to Matt Damon, uh, Christian Bale lost 70 pounds in order to go from Vic Ch- uh, Dick Cheney to uh, to to Ken Miles, who was a skinny guy. Uh, by not eating for, I don't know, two months or something. And he lost 70 pounds as a result. So he comes out as a very skinny, very appropriate Ken Miles. And from the trailers, because I haven't seen the movie either, he looks like Ken Miles. Like it's, it's shocking how like how his his character that he plays. Uh, and you don't have to know anything about this story or about Ford, about Ferrari, about the P4 and the GT40. Or even about Le Mans, right? Uh, I mean, even about Le Mans. You don't need to know. Uh, in order to enjoy it. And and Christian Bale's 
portrayal I thought was, you know, I was just drawn right into it. After you go into it with all these assumptions and things you're going to look for and notes you're going to take and things, and then you're just drawn in by a story, which is the best thing that Hollywood can do is tell you a story. And this movie tells you a story. Who did the movie? Like, who was the director and why did he care? James Mangold. He did not know about, uh, I, I don't think he knew very much at all about the story beforehand. But uh, in his previous movies, he has not known about the stories that he's done. And uh, I got to talk to him, and I got to talk to Christian Bale and, and Matt Damon, and they uh, they kind of went into it. Christian Bale knew a little bit about it because, uh, you know, he everybody in England has a racing background. Um, and he uh, they didn't know anything about it at all going into it, and they uh, learned about it and became fascinated by it and became dedicated to telling this story, which they did, I think, uh, very well. Now, this is all a long way around of saying it's a great movie. Um, the last one that we saw was The Art of Racing in the Rain. Which uh, you love dogs. You're a dog fan, a huge dog enthusiast. Let's not bring up the, the, the dog part of that, it. That wasn't as compelling as a, of a film. Well, right? it was a completely different movie. Yeah. Uh, the Art of Racing in the Rain has, what, 10 minutes of actual racing in it. And Jeff Zwart did a great job portraying the racing in that. Uh, but the vast majority of that movie is just sort of a manipulative cry fest. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that that's... That's uh, sacrilegious to say that, but uh, that was my opinion. And then before that, what name some other movies? I mean, Days of Thunder. We all saw that. I don't know. I don't I think love it was that movie. as bad as everybody said it was. I love Days of Thunder. Driven, driven. I you know even I enjoy driven. It. it. I didn't think it was that bad. It's very funny at yeah. the very worst. Uh, and then, of course, Rush and uh, Rush was much better and actually again tells a story. The cars. rivalry between the two guys. Cars was a fantastic. I think Cars is. You could argue that Cars is the best car movie or racing movie. I think it is. Ever. Here's here's a hot one. Here's a hot button issue for the podcast. Grand Prix. Excellent. Excellent movie. Okay. If I would just I would go back and edit out Eva Marie Saint. Uh, and I think it just would be have a much more racing. Movie. Okay. Whatever they had. But it seemed like Bale and, and Damon were into it. Uh yes. That's yes. cool. I, I don't know. I, I, I really got the sense that they that they are first and foremost great actors and they they put all their professional craft to work in this movie. Um, so the, th- the the point that I think you want to take away from this um, before we really get into more details about it uh, is that you can go and see it, uh, you, an Auto Week podcast listener who knows about racing and knows about Le Mans and Shelby and, and Ken Miles and you know racing, uh, you can enjoy it, and yet you can bring somebody else who doesn't know anything at all about it and they would be drawn along because there are a couple of subplots that draw in other people. There's Ken Miles' family, his wife and his uh, son, his young son. It looks like he was maybe 10 at the time of the filming. And that is uh, a whole subplot there. Not, not really a plot, but it's an element of the movie that is beautifully woven into the story. Uh, you know, the, the son is just this, this great kid and the dad loves him and he's showing him about racing and things and, and the wife, uh, you know, it's, it's all drawn in there. So there's a lot going on and there's, there's more than just racing in this movie. Now I have to ask again, cause I haven't seen the movie yet, but, um, Ford did not build a car and go out and win. Obviously history dictates that they failed a couple times. Well, it, and does a lot, does like, the movie touch on that? There, there's a lot of stuff the movie does not touch on. Okay. It doesn't touch on the Cobra Daytona okay. victory. The uh, uh, 
Carol Shelby's win at Le Mans in 1959 in the Aston Martin with Rory Salvadori is, I think they should have made that a lot more clear. I mean, I knew, and you guys know that Shelby won yeah. uh, Le Mans in, in 59. It was 59, right? I don't want to. Well, he did, won in an Aston. Yeah, in an Aston. I think it was 59. And so he uh, that, that is told in a very brief flashback that uh, I think it's really important. And the reason that they wanted to have it in there was to show that he Shelby had won Le Mans and no other American had that. So when Ford was looking for somebody who could win Le Mans, they needed to find an American who had won it. And Shelby was the natural guy. And just showing off the cuff how deep Mark Vaughn's knowledge runs. It is, it is 1959. 59. There you the, go. The fact checkers uh, shot me a note. It's 59. The fact checkers, our vast staff of fact checkers. Or the, the deep Auto Week podcast uh, uh, reserves of fact checkers. So, so that's just referenced in a flashback uh, really quickly. And it's not at all clear that he was uh, at Le Mans and had won the race. It's just, it's like he's having a bad dream or something. And then again, the, the Shelby Cobra Daytona Coupes uh, which won their class at Le Mans before all this happened. Those are not referenced at all. There's no mention of that. Uh, so we're kind of like, we start when, um, and, and the timeline again is, is off. The whole thing with Ferrari and Ford wanting to buy Ferrari and who actually went over and talked to Ferrari and how that came about. I think the uh, corporate historians are going to say, that they're going to be appalled by all that. But like you say, it's not a documentary, so who cares? Right, right. You should not care, but there will people be people who are outraged. Do they depict the uh, the breakdown of agreement, the discussion between Enzo and the Ford Army of Lawyers, where Enzo looks to his his little town lawyer and says, "Let's go get dinner." Did they depict that? Yeah, in a way. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but they they threw in all kinds of stuff that I can't imagine. Who that. plays Enzo? Some guy you've never heard of. I've never heard of him. I don't know who he is. And he doesn't Convincing. look like Enzo. No. I think. I mean, he's he's an older, uh, possibly could be Italian gentleman. But I, I, I would have found somebody who looked a lot more like Enzo, you know, because he was really fat. He wore his pants up really high, you know, almost to the breast line. And yeah. uh, he was, I mean, and he had those sunglasses that he always wore. And he had a very distinct look about him. And this guy doesn't look like uh shelby but then you know in the movie snake mongoose uh they showed wally parks for a minute and it was a short guy and wally parks was like six five yeah uh, so i don't know it, it depends how much how much knowledge you have <laughs> and, and and the more knowledge you have the more frustrated you will be if you do not just let surrender and let the story drag you along uh enzo ferrari is played by remo gerone I got to think there's a ton of guys in Italy who look like Enzo Ferrari. And why not get one of them? Yeah, who knows? Um, but Mark, I'm, I'm with you. It's If you approach us uh, with pen and paper and your go like hell book and you're ready to tear it apart, it's it's a movie. You're not. There's no way to squeeze essentially seven years into two and a half hours. No. So, no. I mean, just uh, you should go approach it as just a... A fun but and having said that, it still I think it educates people about what happened. Oh, for sure. And it's missing a lot, but it still is the story. You know, this scrappy Southern California hot rodder and his band of uh, engineers and guys with hammers 
uh, one thing, one character I loved was the presence of Phil Remington. Again, the guy doesn't look like Phil Remington. Uh, Phil Remington was Shelby's uh, sort of right-hand man, engineering genius, Mr. Fix-It. And he is a not a huge character, but one of the closer to main characters in there. Uh, and it's just fantastic that they that they had Phil Remington playing a role in there. And you mentioned to me that they had, uh, you mentioned me off mic, that they had descendants of some of the people who raced, like Dan yeah, Gurney's Alex, son. Yeah, Alex Gurney uh, is in there, and he, he actually has, has a speaking part. That's cool. Um, and uh, Derek Hill, Phil Hill's son. That's cool. Uh, he did some driving in the movie. Um, they, I, I asked the guys, I asked Matt Damon and Christian Bale if they did any driving in the movie, and um, they, they kind of suggested that they did do <laughs> some here and there. Uh, but uh, they were quick to point out that they, uh, Matt Damon said, well, we had guys who won Le Mans driving stunts in the movie. And I was trying to figure out who that was because I, I don't know. It was probably a lot of guys did stunts in the movie. Oh, probably. Uh, we had one, if you listened to the podcast a couple weeks back, John Capps. Ron Capps, uh, I'm not sure if little brother, Ron Capps' brother, uh, John Capps, did some uh, stunt driving on Ford v. Ferrari. We got to talk to him about that whole process. And it was uh, a lot of those. I think all of those stunts are practical stunts. They're, I don't think too many are computer generated. There's a lot of computer generation. Oh, is I went into it thinking that there, that it was, you know, I don't know. Why, why are people against computer generation? I mean, it's a neat thing. Why not use it if you can use it? So sometimes it doesn't age well. Uh, this and this, the scenes, my having gone into it thinking that there was almost no com- CGI uh, kind of wrecked parts of the movie okay, for okay. me. So, so there, there is a good amount of CGI. Yeah, but it's well done and it's appropriately done and you can only you can only tell if you're looking for it, I think. But uh, some of the some of the crash scenes at Le Mans are, I think they're CGI. I don't know. I asked James Mangold that and he didn't specifically say which ones and I only got like five minutes with him mm-hmm. so I, I couldn't pick apart each scene and find out. But a lot of the crash scenes look to me, my untrained eye, like they were uh, done through computers. But having said that, they're still really cool and they're well done and they're not these grossly over-exaggerated scenes that we might be used to in what might otherwise be a bad racing movie. Did they do any filming on scene? At Le Mans? Yeah. I believe there was a French crew and now whether they, um, again, this is a question I was not able to uh, answer uh, in the time that I had access to these people. Uh, but uh, You couldn't say, where did you film this? Okay, Raynal, you go next time and you sit in there. When, <laughs> I when will. 45 handlers are beating you with hammers and, you know, two minutes, one minute, your time's up, get out of here. And they pull a lever and you fall through the floor into a pit of crocodiles. I want to see you there, Raynal. And those are... Uh, so anyway, what was the answer Underfed crocodiles, right? I believe that some they, of it was shot. In- I believe some of it was shot in France. But there's, it's really funny if you know the stuff. Uh, they're showing Daytona, and it's obviously California Speedway in Southern California. What is it called now? Auto Club Speedway. Why didn't they just Southern go California. to Daytona? It's cheaper to go just to up the street. Yeah, you don't have to fly everybody to, to across the country and. It's, you know, they're saving okay, money okay, and nobody okay. would know except us. It's not a document. You can see, you know, those, those, uh, that, uh, modeled, uh, stone finish on all the buildings. And, uh, and I just, I kind of laughed a little bit when I saw that. But to answer your question, uh, Randall, I don't believe anyone that, I don't believe they shot any racing footage at Le Mans, uh, uh, per, per our friend John Capps, I believe it was all done offsite. Hmm. But mostly, they, they, mostly because that, that circuit is only open for 
Yeah, it's a road. Yeah, it's a, it's only it's open a road, for a couple, so you, uh, and it would cost a, a lot to. Uh, well, shut yeah, it down parts of it are a road, and parts of it are yeah. track. Yeah, but they they shot at what looked like it looks like LAX. You know, when Shelby's developing mm. the car at the time, uh, Shelby American or whatever it was called then, is it was located at LAX at the airport, Los Angeles International Airport. And in the background, they very prominently feature that that goofy mid-century structure. That's oh, heck sort yeah, of an arched thing. Uh, are there Pan Am logos like just slap? Like there are Pan everywhere? Am jets that go by in the background okay, cool. regularly. Uh, just look at us, and, this is old. And TWA, yeah, I mean they're they're trying. It's fine. Yeah, you know, let them let them do that. That was. That was fine. And, and they also shot a lot at Willow Springs. Okay. So there's a very early sports car race, which Ken Miles, you know, this not giving anything away. He wins this very early uh, race, and uh, it's all shot at, uh, at Willow Springs, which is, as most of you probably know, is a, a great road course out in the desert just north of Los Angeles. So that, too, was easy and uh, cheap to film on. Um, do they touch on Carol Shelby's heart condition? I imagine yes. that could be an easy subplot. Yeah, they 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 show, and in fact, that's how that's I I don't want to give away. Yeah, everybody knows Carol Shelby. They had to stop racing dri driving because he would have had a heart attack and died if he had done it. Because if his heartbeat, uh, the doctor I think said, if his heartbeat gets over 130, he'll die. And so when he gets excited about anything, he he takes these pills. And he pops nitroglycerin like I pop ibuprofen. It seems. Uh... Yeah, yeah. He and he does it throughout the movie. Uh, whenever oh, uh, there's fun. there's a fight scene that's that's really funny, and after the fight's over, uh, he takes nitroglycerin pills, so he, he takes them fairly regularly. Yeah. Now you've, if I'm not mistaken, you've met Carol Shelby. Obviously, the late Carol I, Shelby. I got to uh, cover him uh, as a journalist, and that's a whole different perspective okay, okay. from uh, just being a fan of his. Um, he uh, he had his own approach to business, and. Um, to legal matters <laughs> and he uh, uh, as a journalist you would have a different perspective on this great American uh, racing a, icon a, a car culture icon a figure of the the, the motoring uh, history of America but, but the movie the movie alludes to that the movie doesn't just gloss over him most of the books that you read the biographies the stories even the reviews of Shelby's cars uh, don't even say that there was ever anything wrong, that the man was a saint and you could trust him with uh, all your money. And, and well, with, that said, I covered him as a journalist as well. And I will say that there were more nefarious characters in this business than Carol Shelby. Who? I'm not going to name names because we, that some of them are still alive. But And some have lawyers. Yeah, I, I don't well, think he was the worst there by is, any stretch of the imagination. He, he, was, he wasn't the worst. And he combined that with a charm that would overwhelm exactly whoever he was right. and he, dealing with. So, Especially so, he loved the Auto Week people, you he, and me. He and, convinced us that he loved Well, whatever. Us so he always treated me well. That's he half the battle. He treated me well. And, well, he did the same with, uh, with uh, God, God rest him, uh, Pete Peterson, the great publisher. Uh, he was buddies with him. David E. Davis, you know, they, uh, they were all. So he Keith was, Crane. Yeah, he was, he was buddies with these guys. And, uh, you know, you could say that he might have done that for his own benefit. I don't know. I mean, this is a this is the multifaceted side of any character, any individual. And I asked James Mangold, the director, about that. I said, you presented uh, Shelby uh, not as a saint, as a, you know, a man of, I think I said, many facets. And he said, yeah, it's important to portray this guy 
in all of his uh, glory and with all of his all-too-human faults. And they did. There were a couple of very funny little scenes that you have to watch out for where uh, Shelby, uh, he's at Le Mans, and they're pitted next to Ferrari. Now, I don't know if they were pitted next to Ferrari in, uh, in those years, but uh, they, there's a scene where uh, Shelby kind of wanders over to the, on the uh, outside the pit wall on the track side and just drops a, a large nut on the ground in front of the Ferrari <laughs> thing and then just wanders back. And then the, the Italian engineers see it Freak and they go, out. oh, no, and they all start talking in Italian. They're, Where did this come from? How did this fall off? And um, So things like that are uh, pretty well done. And they acknowledge, for instance, when Shelby is selling the Cobras, uh, he sold, you know, one Cobra to like five people in the movie. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> so, the Cobra, not necessarily the Cobras. Right, right. So um, he's he's portrayed in the depth of human character that we all have our own shortcomings and everything. Well, that has to make it a better movie, right? If you're it portraying does. him as a real person opposed to this this icon, this legend. this Yeah, and it's explained uh, pretty well in the movie because uh, you you wouldn't be able to do all this stuff if you played everything a hundred percent straight up you would never get anywhere you wouldn't do anything you have to do some wheeling dealing to get where he was with what he had um and i think that aspect of him this is the part about shelby that uh listeners uh love you know that he went over there with very little just <coughs> a couple of scrappy guys and they took on this massive project and they won did i give that away Wait, hold on. Ford won Le Mans? <laughs> oh, Four times. Oh, we gotta, hey, he just saved me nine bucks. I don't have to go see it now. Well, I guess you don't need to watch the movie now. I can wait till it comes out on... Uh, but you made an interesting point earlier that I would like to uh, expand upon when you said that it's a movie that, whether you were interested in the subject matter or not, draws you in. And that's what I thought that was one of the beauties of Rush. Like my, I yeah. had, we watched it with a couple of couples who didn't know squat about anything. And they all came out of that movie liking Formula One and Nikki Lauda. Yeah. Did they start watching? They watched, they didn't know anything about it until they watched that but movie. But did they start watching Formula One after that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, nobody in the United States watches Formula One except Wesley Wren. I do love Formula One. But I'm a late convert, too, so I'm sure that number is I think actually we have, I think Warner, Robin Warner watches Formula One. Uh, allegedly. It's a sleepy, I, I, used to, I used to know it's every a sleepy, single little thing it's about a sleepy Formula sport. One. It's a unique, it's an acquired taste, but once you acquire it, it's pretty fascinating. It's hard to shake, but it's always been an acquired taste. But uh, so, I mean, motor, motor racing is an acquired taste. It's kind of silly until you actually break it down and learn to appreciate it. Or if you just love cars like everyone in this room. It's, it makes it makes no sense on a certain level, but yeah. it makes all the sense in the world on yeah. another level. Which level do you want to be on? So All the sense in the world. I can't live without motor racing. Right. Uh, but Ford v. Ferrari, it's going to be released, uh, what, in like two or three theaters? November 15th. Oh, November 15th, but like just small release? Are we talking a... Uh, I... I think it's wide release. Now, oh, wide 15. release! Yeah, nationwide, I, baby, big I screens. I they've all. I don't know, but I they've told me November fifteenth, and I think that's the date that's released. Judging so. judging by the ads, I'm pretty sure it, we're looking at a like a huge release. Yeah, on this there's one. been a lot of ads on it. They're, yeah, they're spending money, and I think not having seen it, I'm definitely going to drop the eight hundred dollars it takes to go see a movie these days. But uh, what's what's your take, Mark? Would you see it without seeing it for free? 
Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I would. I would just because it's it's such an important part of our lives. Oh yeah, that we would kind of have to see it. It's almost like seeing a movie where a friend of yours is in the movie, so you have to go see. It. You don't care what it is, you, you want to go see it. So yes, definitely go see it. It's well worth it, and you won't be disappointed. And your non-racing friends will not be disappointed. Will not be disappointed. Will not be disappointed. That's it. That's right. Will not. Where's a copy not, desk? Not copy desk is over in another building right now. Where are they? When we I need mean, them. At the very worst, who doesn't love movie theater popcorn, right? It's delicious. It's awful. It's awful. Paying $18 for a <sighs> box of milk duds? Come on. Worth every penny. I can't I can't eat milk duds. Smuggle in your own Reese's pieces. That's what I say. Reese's pieces? Man, I can't say Reese's pieces. I, I, I there we go. I say Reese's pieces. Like a Neanderthal. Arthal. Um, but with that, I think you should stop listening right now. I mean, just put us on pause. Continue listening later. Uh, go to whatever theater you can find. If you're driving right now, pull over to a theater, plop down your monies, and go see Ford v. Ferrari. All U.S. theaters November 15th. Even the theater in our hearts. <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? You guys have uh, obviously are aware there have been racing movies before in the past. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, you guys not really. Not that many, actually, right? I mean, people say that there's, many, like, there's yeah. an abundance of them. There's not that many racing films. Not like westerns or something. No. Right. Yeah. But this one is a good one. We hope so. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. It, you got the racing I right. I agree. It seems that the, the you know, usually you got Elvis and Spin Out or, or something like that, <laughs> or the big wheel or something, but this one, you, you actually got the racing really spot on, I thought. Oh, fantastic, thank you for saying. Yeah, I mean, that's down to some really great drivers we had um, uh, working on the movie. We, 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 had, we actually had people who'd, who'd, uh, who'd raced Le Mans, um, you know, on, on, on our stunt team, so it was a pretty, pretty formidable group. Ah, did you driving. guys get to do much driving in the movie? We did as much as we could, but you know, we like Matt said, we had some the top drivers in the world, so we can't really compete with them. Uh, you, you didn't have to go to a driving school like when Paul Newman did Winning. Uh, he went to a driving school. Actually, it was started by Carol Shelby, which is now the Bondurant School. Oh, that's uh, where Christian went. That's where I went. Yeah. Oh, you went there. Yeah, so did, you did yeah. do that. How yeah, was that experience? Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. yeah. Oh, if you ever get a chance to do it, my God. Yeah, I've, I've such fun. Done it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. yeah. Did you end up in the open wheelers? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, are, do you have aspirations now to race? Um, I, I will. I, I still want to be able to. I've been banned from motorcycle racing. I want to get back to that. Um, uh -huh. So that'll be my first one. But uh, yeah, it is addictive, and I have been kind of thinking in the back of my head. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Willow Springs isn't that far away. Maybe I far. should. It's not far. A lot of a lot of stuff in LA that you can do mm. on bikes. Um, did you guys? Uh, you, you shot at a lot of different tracks. Hmm. Um, did you uh, were you aware of these tracks beforehand? Obviously, if you if you race motorcycles, I was. I've been to Willow Springs tons of times, and then we were filming there. I, yeah, I've done that many times. Yeah. Yeah. Do you um, have you? You guys must have access to a lot of great cars. I mean, the, the stereotype is that a Hollywood actor has a whole bunch of really cool sports. Yeah, cars. Yeah, we both got warehouses full of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you have any uh, cool cars yourself that you want to? Yeah, talk I've got a really cool car. He's got, got the he's 2003 got a three second hand uh, uh, pickup truck. Yeah, that's it. That's actually my only car. So that's, that's the all the story there. But oh. his truck Sorry was always to, to move the motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. You, you have an interesting have to motorcycle. Pick things up. You have an interesting motorcycle. Um, MV Augusta F4. That's interesting. Ooh, lovely. Very fast. Yeah. Very fast. Matt, you don't have any. Uh, 
no, I don't. I'm not a, a, a car collector or anything like that. And I, I also like I don't when I'm driving, I don't want people to look at me. You know, and if don't I, if look I had, at me. no, it's, it's like, it's me. just like you want to, you want to blend in with everyone. I, well, I do love, I really do love having a car that I can park it anywhere in the world and no one is going to steal anything from it or think there's anything worth stealing out of it. And there isn't, you know, I love having a car that I can scratch and I just don't care. Right, right. So I do like that. Yeah. Which you can't I, do with a beauty like this, no, you know? No. Although I have, I do kind of fantasize sometimes about, oh, one of those Cobras, because they're so nice to drive. It was, uh, yeah, driving them on the movies, like, special. yeah. This one yeah. is really something And they're special, really fun. You know? They're really yeah. twitchy. They're really, like, the, like it's really easy to drift them because and, and, they're so light. And so it, I did think, mm, you know, that would, that's, maybe. I think if they did a four-seater of one of these, I would have it. Right. Yeah. But so, would that take away the... Well, yeah, but my family would all... Like, why are you taking them and not me? Fit so it would, be, it would how, not go well. How familiar were you? How familiar were you guys with the story that you portrayed so well in this movie before you got into the movie? I wasn't really familiar with it. I was familiar with Lamont and everything and uh, and whatnot, and familiar with Shelby and uh, and the Cobra, um, but uh, I didn't know about this story, which is just a fantastic story. Matt, were you familiar with it? Uh, with Shelby, but I didn't know about Miles, and I didn't know about their friendship, and uh, no, that was a, you know, which is I think something that's not very well known. Ken isn't very well known, uh, you know, and so hopefully, uh, hopefully people have a different appreciation of him after them. Yeah, you really did a great job bringing that story to life and uh, giving Ken Miles credit for the first time in 50 years for yeah. his accomplishments, mm -hmm. and you did obviously as well. So Thank thanks you. very much. Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah appreciate nice to meet you. Yes, that was Christian Bale and Matt Damon. Our own Mark Vaughn got a chance to talk with him after he saw the movie. But with that, that rounds out our uh, Ford versus Ferrari spectacular. You should see the movie this weekend. I know I'm going to see it again, uh, but it'll be a, a nice treat. Nice little uh, fun thing to do this weekend. But before that, or after that, I'm not sure which, thank you so much for listening. Uh, without you, we can't do this. So thank you for listening, subscribing, uh, and downloading this on any device in your site. Thank you so much. <laughs>